Volve Corporation, also known as Volve Softwari, is an American video game developer, publisher, and digital distributor. <laughs> okay. A lot of people don't know this, all right? Listen up, please. Let me get your attention. The a lot of people don't know, but it's actually pronounced the Volve Corporation. It's a French derivative of the word Volvino, which means volcano. A lot of people say it's the Valve Corporation, all right? But I'm here to uncover the truth on the VR experience. It's, you've been saying it wrong. It's Valve. All right, in all seriousness, <laughs> today we're going to be uh, taking a look at uh, the Valve Corporation itself. Uh, of course, creators of the Steam gaming platform, one of the uh, largest developers for, uh, excuse me, one of the largest platforms for buying and selling games, uh, as well as uh, creators of Half-Life. Good morning, and welcome to the Black Mesa Transit System. Source Engine and the beloved Portal. We hope your brief detention in the relaxation vault has been a pleasant one. And, this, and the company itself really uh, is, is inspiring to me. Hugely inspiring, because... The, the way they've set up their company is a little bit different. It's been described as hierarchy-less. There's no, there's no overall hierarchy of, of, uh, of positions in their company uh, from what they've described it as. So the way it kind of works is, is if you, say, were hired by Valve, right, you would enter their office on, say, a Monday morning, and uh, you'd, you'd grab your coffee, and you'd go to your desk, and then you would work on what you want to work on there's no structure in the sense of uh hey you got to complete this task by you know 8 a.m with the uh with the marketing uh agency uh, company meeting down here until it naturally forms so essentially they've set up the company to be a collection of motivated individuals that can form their own hierarchies within themselves but it's not like someone gets hired as a, a manager and then their job is to manage other people. It's everyone is hired based on their skill set and then they can basically convince another person to join their own team within the company. So if you have an idea and you say, hey, I think I have the idea for the next Valve game that's going to sell a million and one buck bucks. We're going to we're going to make we're going to make it's called Life Half Seven and it's a great simulated game. You would basically, you would have to gather up the people, you would have to gather up the interest within the company to get that project made, to get your sound designer. Because uh, maybe your sound designer is working on his own project, maybe he's working on Half-Life 10, you know? So it's an interesting, it's an interesting structure and, and obviously one that wouldn't work for every employee, but it's one that I think uh, may become more popular uh, in the future. It's certainly one that I strive for uh, if I'm, if I'm thinking about how uh, I would want to work in a environment with other people, right? So, uh, back to the Valve Corporation. <laughs> I'm going to call it like that for this entire episode, so gear up. So, the, the two founders of Valve are, are Gabe Newell and Mike Harrington. And it's interesting to me because right off the bat, Gabe Newell spent about 13 years helping to produce early versions of the Windows, also known as Windows A operating system. Okay, I'm ending that bit, don't worry. So naturally, he learned a good deal about the software business working under Bill Gates and the crew, right? And financially, during that, that time period of him working 
he amassed, uh, you know, uh, millions. And and right there, I think it would there would be a, a temptation, at least for me, you know, just to be like, all right, I'm gonna peace out. I've made my millions. I'm I'm done. But no, him and his uh, his coworker, Mike Harrington, took their you know nice little Microsoft paycheck and went out into the world and started their own company. And right off the bat, they call it Valve LLC. And I tried researching why Valve is called Valve, right? And I came across, of course, a forum post on the Steam community. It says, why is Valve called Valve? And one person said, personally, I think Valve and the logo where the Valve is in someone's head means dot, 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 that, dot, dot, dot. They want it to be the conduit in which you get all the PC stuff. They are the ones that are in control of the Valve controlling the flow of games applications into your head. Valves can be shut off. So we're gonna we're gonna rewind back to three years before Newell and Harrington uh, branched off from Microsoft and started Valve. Another Microsoft employee named Michael Abrash did the same, and he joined up with ID Software, the developers of Doom. So later, Abrash helped the two get a license to use the Quake engine with that simple uh, simple uh, you know uh, license with that tool set. Newell and Harrison uh, began uh, creating a sci-fi-themed first-person shooter of their own. So initially, when they started developing Half-Life, they had some issues, some troubles, some troubles on the water, some 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 road bumps. You know, uh, they couldn't find a publisher for it because at this point, they're not—they don't have Steam. You know, they're not a publisher themselves. Uh, so they went to a Washington-based company called Sierra Online. And with that publishing deal in place, Half-Life launched in November 1998. It was a huge success. It fulfilled almost every metric uh, imaginable to, to measure a game's success. It was and still is a blend of smart narrative. Rise and shine, Mr. Freeman. With compelling gameplay. But then here is where the, the the infamous Valve streak begins. For the next six years, the company lay dormant. Dormant in the sense that they weren't creating new things. But what they were doing was releasing expansion packs for Half-Life. By the late 90s and the early 2000s, they saw a breath of fresh life being breathed into Half-Life with the release of the software development kit. This allowed a bunch of, uh, you know, developers outside of Valve to create their own content for the game, which is a absolutely genius move. I think we've seen when when there's a when there's a big game like that, when there's a game such as like a, a, an Elder Scrolls or or a, a large, uh, uh, you know, well-developed game. When there's an SDK that allows freedom to mod attached to it, it adds new life, and that's so interesting because it's. It's almost like a, I almost think of it like, like a, you know, an early form of, of user generated content websites like YouTube, like, like Twitter, like social media. But instead of videos, instead of texts, instead of posts, it is content that is added on to content. It's, it's meta content. 
So by 2000, the original co-founder, Mike Harrington, departed from the company, which left Gabe Newell as the lone uh, head uh, you know, survivor, the lone co-founder, the lone founder of uh, Valve. They went from an LLC to a corporation, which is how we know them now, of course, the Valve Corporation. Around that same time, it moved its headquarters about five miles south to Bellevue, Washington. And while all this was happening, Valve started work on two new endeavors that would take it beyond more than game development. Source and Steam. So this is a very interesting business move. Because I feel like most uh, game developers would not, especially at this time, would not (laughs) think of creating a platform that would allow them to publish their own games, right? In walks Steam. So Steam was first unveiled at GDC, the Game Developers Conference, in 2002. And of course, when it launched, it was, you know, a very small marketplace. It was first, uh, they, they, they first sort of introduced it as a simple digital distribution service whose main purpose was to develop, whose main purpose was to deliver just quick patches and other updates to online games more easily. So if you had an online game, you could just, you know, upload it on Valve and it'll just allow you to connect to your already existing, uh, you know, player base easier. Whereas before, the patches had a nasty habit of crashing games like Counter-Strike and rendering them unplayable for days at a time, which is interesting. So it, it was positioned as, it seems, a, a tool rather than a platform, something to alleviate an issue that was already there. But as we know, it grew to be something much, much bigger. And even when it launched, a few there was there was some there was some community drama apparently the, a few of the valve loyalists weren't happy with steam's online authentication uh, they weren't happy that a drm uh, was required to start their game they just wanted to start their game they didn't want to go through another uh, platform and of course the rage only grew when steam announced excuse me when valve announced that in 2004 All of its future games would require Steam to be played. Which is, you know, fairly understandable. It it was a early piece of of software. It was was not as stable as the current incarnation of Steam. You know, when I I open up Steam, I know it's going to work. I don't think Steam has ever crashed on me in my, you know, however long years of, of, of gaming. But I'm sure back then, you know, in the early 2000s, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't as as smooth sailing as it is now, as with anything. But of course, it got better with age. The technical kinks uh, were worked out, and it became speedy and reliable. So by 2005, Valve made its first set of distribution agreements with third-party online publishers, allowing it to diversify Steam's game catalog beyond just its own uh, titles. And after that, the platform soon became profitable. And those profits only increased exponentially as more and more publishers and PC gamers turned towards digital distribution. So from 2007 to 2009, it continued to roll out a range of new features. You could store game saves, profile data, fill out achievement lists, and chat with your Steam friends in a Steam community uh, networking uh, feature. 
So it's interesting. It, it seems they sort of stumbled upon a platform. It started as just a tool, a, a simple thing to alleviate updates and game updates, and then grew into something much larger. Today's episode is brought to you by Metaflix. Metaflix is a streaming service from Disrupt. It has exclusive shows and experimental content, all themed around technology, gaming, and the virtual reality universe. You can get full access for $2 a month, 169 euros, or sign up for a free account to access limited shows with new content added weekly. That's Metaflix, meta, F-L-I-C-K-S dot net. The second thing that sets Valve apart from just being a game developer, uh, you know, is 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 uh, the Source Engine. It officially arrived in August 2004, alongside the appropriately named Counter Strike Source. So this was a tool set that would not only be more powerful than the previous engines they used before, but would also lend itself to continuous and organic updates. It allowed them to remake some of their early titles in the new engine, releasing Half-Life Source, and later on Day of Defeat Source. And then Half-Life 2, which was made fully in the new engine, which uh, sort of displayed the full graphics, displayed the full beauty the, the 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 inner workings, the 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 majesty of the uh, Source engine. But not only was it a game engine, it it brought a new a new wave of content, right? Like if you if you go on YouTube and you look up Source filmmaker, <laughs> you will see some of the trippiest the trippiest videos you've ever seen. So it's it's like a game engine, right? But it has also grown into a filmmaking engine where you can sort of animate within it in the style of, uh, of whatever you want to create. Here, it's interesting. Valve is positioned in a way that they have created a platform and they've created a tool set. And that is the perfect storm for a company that is completely independent, completely, uh, for lack of better, for lack of a better word, their own valve. <laughs> So they're, they're good to go. They're positioned well. They've released Half-Life 2, which immediately surpassed the success of the original. And then a employee in the company, Gary Newman, uh, created Gary's Mod uh, in Valve itself. I think another example of, of someone who had an idea while working at Valve and just started making it. And uh, it turned out to be one of the the, the largest you know sandbox-type type games uh, on the platform itself, on PC gaming itself. And at this point, most of their games were, were critically acclaimed by the, the fans of Valve, but it seems Portal was the standout. This was a triumph. I'm making a note here, huge success. It was described as a masterclass of game design and something legitimately unique in an otherwise sort of standard market. So again, we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing a streak here. We're seeing a streak of a company that is creating groundbreaking, not only games, but groundbreaking products, groundbreaking platforms, and groundbreaking tool sets. And when you think about, when, when, when 
I think it's easy to look at a company and and view their successes and be like, okay, they got lucky. But it's like Valve just just keeps knocking it out of the park at this point. And I think it comes down to their structure, their company structure. If you have sort of this this traditional hierarchy structure, I don't think that lends itself well to a type of company such as uh, a, a Valve, which is to say a, a type of company that is based on creativity, right? I think one of the, the main downfalls of creative project is when there's too many hands in it, when there's, when there's people that are hired for a specific job, but maybe aren't necessarily correct for the project, but they still have to have their hands in it because they were hired to be, you know, a manager of X, right? But if you have an organic group of people that all are good at their specific tool set, their specific skill set, uh, rather, and then they gather organically within the group of within the within the company as a whole, it seems that what we get is uh, is is great. Great success. Great success. Over the next few years, Valve then begins entering the hardware market uh, with their um, Steam controller, which uh, was designed to work on the Steam OS. They also released the uh, the Steam Machine, which is sort of like a box system, like a PC, like a like a console, but it's also a PC game, a PC a, a PC based console. It it didn't really work. It didn't do too well. Uh, that one, but you know, they entered the hardware market, and I think, in hindsight, what they did was built up a a a, a pipeline to create hardware. So fast forward to uh, the late and mid 2010s, as uh, we see virtual reality sort of uh, you know coming into fruition. They then team up with, of course, HTC to create. The, the Vive. Their next step into virtual reality was the Valve Index, which is arguably still one of the best headsets on the market. Also the most expensive, but what they, the 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 type of uh, energy they're bringing into the VR industry with the Valve Index with Steam VR is one of openness, which is a stark contrast, I will say, to Oculus which is taking the closed approach. I would be willing to bet on the open approach. And if there's a there's a there's an there's a really good interview with with Gabe Newell in which he sort of talks about Okay, you really want to go down the rabbit hole. Reading and writing to somebody's motor cortex is much more of a tractable problem than making people feel cold. And huh. you never would have guessed that, right? I never would have guessed that yeah. until going into it. But it turns out that there that your brain has really good interfaces for some things and really badly designed kludgy interfaces for doing other things. And the fact that your immune system gets involved in your perceptions of temperature means there are all sorts of weird parts of your brain that participate in the sensation of being cold, right? Whereas things like your motor cortex or your visual cortex are much more tractable problems. The idea of um of BCIs, brain-to-computer interfaces, and I would expect that Valve will be key players in the 
brain-to-computer interface gaming industry. When we're talking about controlling games, or at the very least, game mechanics that integrate with a direct connection to the mind. We're way closer to the Matrix than you think. Quote Gabe Newell, 2020. And honestly, if anyone's going to build the Matrix, I would hope it would be Valve. I think <laughs> they're fairly trustworthy, but they're, you know, they're building tools. It's not like a tool can be bad or good. If the values aren't right for the individuals, if the values aren't right or even thought about for the company, then it can go south. Say I'm going to die, right? I know I'm going to die in a week. And the Grim Reaper comes to me and he says, hey, dude, you're going to die. Don't worry, but you got to find a place for your dog. You can either give it to EA <laughs> Or you can give it to Valve. I would be like, all right, hey Lucy, dog, you're going to you're going to Valve because um, I'm pretty sure EA would would um, would make you pay to eat your dog food, whereas Valve would let you eat dog food if you wanted it. of this episode was written and based on Jeff Dunn's work over at GamesRadar. If you'd like to read more on the history of Valve, the article link is found down below. Hey folks, taking some listener calls over at the uh, virtualexperience.link. This first one is from I'm Your Left Foot. Hello, Disrupt. Um, I've recently come up uh, upon a upon a problem that, that I'm not quite sure what what to do about. You see, one of my clones recently developed free will, and uh, it's kind of it's kind of causing me a lot of problems because sometimes people think that that's me. So is that like identity identity theft? Is so, it's like what? How do I how do I go about living my life? Well, at the same time, no longer having to worry about this clone, because he's quite he's 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 not he's, he's, it's it's doing me quite the quite the doing me quite the dirty. So, uh, good luck, thank you, and uh, see you around the metaverse. You know, it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough subject because I think a lot of us go through that same that same problem. I'm your left foot. I I, I appreciate you being open and honest about your issue. Um, I'm going to do my best to help you because I've been through something similar, actually. And what I think it comes down to is communication. Uh, the most important relationship you will have with your clone is uh, whether you like it, a a soul link. There will be a neurological link between you and your clone. It's undeniable. It's scientifically proven. Um, and and really, I think you and your clone just need to, you know, have a coffee, chat it out. Maybe he's feeling uh, something that you uh, did not know and maybe you're feeling something that he uh, did not know so so really just just chat it chat it out I think um, I think you can find some resolution if you really work at it um, it's not gonna be easy but it'll be worth it folks that's it for this episode of the virtual reality experience thank you for listening uh, I'll see you next week peace out ouch I dropped my controller <laughs>